Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, we are joined by Dr. Sandeep Raha, who is an associate professor in the Department of Pediatrics at McMaster University. He is also the head of a research group, Raha Lab, which studies the interface of biology and technology. Dr. Raha is also the co-founder of the Children and Youth University at McMaster. It's a pleasure to have you. Would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thank you, uh, Omar, for inviting me, and I, and I look forward to chatting with you. Um, so my background is a, is a little crooked, crooked in the sense that not illegal, but uh, it's meandering would be probably a better word to say. Um, and um, I think I will start with a, my PhD from the University of Toronto. Um, so after finishing my PhD, um, surprisingly, so students might find interesting that even then I was a little bit unsure about what kind of directions I wanted to go, whether I wanted to go to medical school or do uh, something else was still in my mind and unclear. But uh, then I got an incredible opportunity to work with a startup biotech. So essentially building a lab in an empty warehouse to um, develop diagnostic devices. And I think that was an incredible opportunity for me. Um, I worked there for about three years. I learned a lot about business uh, and it was challenging for me because I had no formal business training. Uh, but I came out of that with one main lesson that I was not geared for the uh, business sector. Uh, I didn't like being um, entirely profit motivated. Um, and, and not to say that everybody in business is, but that, that line of inquiry wasn't suitable for me. And so from there, I sort of transitioned back to uh, the university setting, working for a little bit at U of T and then coming, getting the opportunity to work here at McMaster. So I've been at McMaster since about 2007, uh, running my own lab. Uh, I'm in the Department of Pediatrics, which might be kind of strange because I don't have an MD, I'm a PhD. So there's about four or five of us and, um, that, that do basic science research or non-clinical research in that department. And uh, I'm one of those people. Uh, and uh, I also, one of the interesting things was that after about four or five years into my position, essentially doing lab-based research, I realized that um, I really missed interacting with humans because my animal, my, my research was primarily animal based and working with cells. And I really wanted that human um, factor. I wanted to be able to work with kids. I get a real thrill of when, when kids ask interesting questions. And that sort of led to the founding of the Children's University program. And so those, that's sort of how I came to do the kinds of things that I'm doing right now within the Department of Pediatrics at McMaster. Awesome, that, that's a great introduction and definitely a lot of things you mentioned, I look forward to talking with you about throughout the interview. Um, so my first question is surrounding, uh, you talked about that you are the head of your own lab. So would you mind explaining the focus of your research to our audience um, for, for those who might not necessarily be science listeners, but still tuning into the show? Sure. Uh, my research is actually focuses in three, um, three very distinct areas. Two of them are related, so I'll start with those. So my, my main research area 
focuses around how stress affects pregnancy. Um, and in particular, uh, I'm really interested in cellular effects. Um, we, do, we do follow through with, you know, um, bigger sort of whole animal type effects. We have that, but that's sort of peripheral to my research. My main research focuses on how various stress affects uh, cells and how it pro and how that stress might change the programming or the cell's fate and which in turn will affect the animal's development, uh, the kinds of diseases the uh, animal is susceptible to. Um, and when I say animal, I mean, you know, we study animal models, but obviously we're trying to apply it to humans. So that area of research broadly is referred to as the developmental origins of health and disease or DOHAD. Um, and very specifically, my work right now focuses on how cannabis, very popular, legalized recently, how the, the bioactive components of cannabis affect the cells in the placenta. So the stem cells that, that are resident within the placenta are affected. And that actually changes the kinds of growth hormones, the kinds of um, inflammatory molecules the, the placenta releases and the baby gets exposed to. And there's a lot of research um, demonstrating that these kinds of changes result in a lot of adverse outcomes to the baby in later life. But we still don't understand how that process works. Uh, what are the mechanisms involved in going from mom being exposed to cannabis to baby having an adverse effect? Um, in the past, we've worked with obesity during pregnancy. So we were really looking at how um, adipose tissue or fat cells within the mom would affect the placenta. Now we're specifically looking at these drugs and what happens. So that's one main area of research. Related to that, we're also interested in developing better models to study these kinds of diseases. Um, so one of the projects that sort of partially wrapped up in my lab, but continuing in collaboration with others is the development of a in vitro or, you know, a, a, a cell culture based model, <clears throat> excuse me, a cell culture based model of the human placenta. So here we bring a bunch of cells together that are important for placental function and we build that model um, through various engine engineering techniques for the purpose of uh, studying how these cells interact, but also for allowing more effective screening of drugs, testing of environmental toxins. And part of the rationale for this is to reduce the failure rate that we normally see when we go from these um, in vitro or cell culture based models to animals uh, and to also reduce the use of animals in testing. So those are the long-term goals of a project like this. But those two models, those two areas of research come together to help us study um, how, uh, how environmental toxins might affect moms and their babies. And the final area of research is sort of very unrelated to those and comes out of 
some of the work we do, outreach work we do with kids. Um, and that is, you know, how do we how do we help kids understand science? How, how do we get them thinking about what they're hearing in the news, uh, the critical thinking process? And then, you know, in doing that kind of work, we have to train our undergrads and grad students to be able to interact with the kids. And so we've got some research looking at the kinds of skills our post-secondary students develop when they interact with kids and try to communicate this information to the kids about how to interpret science. So those are sort of the main areas of research that are going on in my group. Awesome. That, that sounds very interesting, especially um, like looking at in particular, you mentioned a lot about animal models. Um, def definitely interesting to see how, you know, you can translate things from different living organisms to see how they, you know, are affected by certain things. And as well as studying how um, the cannabis, for example, or stuff in our that's being introduced, kind of the, the long term effects that it has on development. And and very interesting to kind of look at the different types of effects that these things can have. Um, I wanted to ask you, is, is there any sort of ongoing projects within your lab? I know with COVID, there have been a lot of changes, but is there anything that you're you're excited about within that's coming? Yeah, um, we've been working in our lab very recently uh, um, on some specific effects on uh, of uh, cannabis. So THC is a main biocomponent of cannabis, and you can it's sold separately. Cannabidiol is another bi important bio import, uh, bioactive component of cannabis, and that is also sold separately. And people take it for anti-inflammatory purposes, pain relief, this kind of thing. But the amount of um, actual critical biomedical evidence that these compounds would be having these kinds of pain relieving effects and um, analgesic effects in general, um, that evidence is less clear. People, there's a lot of um, um, hearsay, um, certainly the numbers of people that say these things happen, uh, the, the, the pain relief, there's, there's a lot of them. Um, our lab is, has been working specifically on the cellular effects in the placenta recently, and we've published a couple of papers now that show that especially THC has some profound effects uh, on the mitochondria within a cell. So the mitochondria are the bioenergetic factories within a cell, and if those get affected, then the amount of energy available to the cell is affected. And so um, our research is uh, showing that THC uh, causes a lot of stress in the mitochondria. We're working to find out how that might actually, what that might mean to the animal, to the babies uh, using animal models, obviously. Um, we're interested in looking at the downstream effects of those cellular impacts caused by THC. So I'm very excited to have that research come out. Uh, some of it is out already, as I said, and some is forthcoming. Awesome, that really sounds like an interesting study and, and it'll be great to read about it and see what's, what, what exactly was found. Excuse me. Uh, and so my next question kind of has a 
multiple perspectives that you can answer from, uh, both being a professor as well as someone who just interacts within students working within your lab. Um, but how have you found COVID-19 has, uh, like what, what ways have you found that you can increase the productivity of a group that you may be working in or how to keep yourself motivated uh, when in an all online environment? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, we've been dealing with that in, from two perspectives. So some of the work that we've been doing with uh, through our children's university program uh, has suggested that even younger kids, especially, it's obviously challenging self-motivation when there's no teachers around, when there's no uh, colleagues or fellow students around to work with you. It's, it is a very difficult thing. It's difficult for the kids. And I'm not sure that it's any less difficult for adults, although the theory says it should be. Um, within the context of the lab, uh, I've really found that it's important to reach out to students more purposefully. Um, when we were, you know, in the old days, as I say, BC, before COVID, <laughs> right? Um, um, I would go into the lab and I could have informal chats. Um, it's, it's hard to have informal chats online. You have to purposefully schedule them. Uh, and so we have done a lot of that. And sometimes students come, sometimes they don't. Um, and it's and it's challenging because um, they don't have to come to my meetings with for these informal chats, whereas they had to go to the lab and I could just drop in and check on them. So keeping tabs has been challenging, but you know I've got a really good team and 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 keeping lines of communication open uh, very purposefully is one of the things that I've been trying to do during the COVID uh, um, experience. The other thing I've had to make my students aware of, which I didn't even realize that the, the, the scope of the impact of COVID-19 um, has been so profound that I think at the beginning of the pandemic, we didn't actually think about these things. But now that it's all coming to fruition, because you know the entire world is shut down, we're finding things like supply chains are so profoundly impacted, we can't actually get some of our reagents and plastic were necessary to do our lab work. And that has caused stress amongst the, the students. And so, you know, talking them through it, teaching them how to be really proactive. You know, you've got to really start to anticipate what you're going to need several months down the line because it might take that long to get that supply in. Um, working with them to really map projects out because they don't when when you're in when you're in sort of working with each other and you you've got your um, hands on the experiments you're doing things things aren't working quite correctly the experience teaches you lessons so while this is okay for my grad students because they're still in the lab now rotating managing with physical distancing my my undergraduates have been uh, forbidden to go into the lab just because um, that's the way a lot of courses are running. Um, we have to keep physical distancing um, possible for the grad students. So it's really hard to keep the undergrads motivated and productive. And so we've had lots of meetings sort of laying out, this is what you need to do. Sometimes tasking them to, to find interesting bits of information that might be related to their uh, work. So trying to keep the experience interesting for them 
has been a lot of effort. And, you know, luckily, as I said, I have a great team and they've been working together to, to hopefully provide a positive experience for, for everyone. Definitely. And, and a lot of the things you mentioned, in particular, the stress factor of when things are disrupted because of how COVID is affecting, you know, external things that aren't in control in the lab as they used to be. It's definitely important to have those other activities, like you mentioned, um, the drop-ins to speak with students that kind of increase morale, um, if you will, in, in all of the students that you're working with. And so I think that's definitely really great to hear. And um, honestly, it's something that we might need more if COVID continues, um, just because of the sense that, you know, if you're constantly interacting and only speaking about work, it does get a little bit exhaustive uh, when when that's your only topic of conversation. But it, it sounds definitely like you are doing a great job of helping keep your team motivated and they sound like really great individuals too. Yeah, they're, um, um, you know, it, that's the challenging thing is when you're working with a larger team, like I have about eight undergraduates that I mentor, um, trying to make sure that everybody's sort of getting equal amount of attention, keeping them uh, moving forward. Some some students need more attention than others. Um, some students just need to talk. They just need someone to listen to, right? And mm -hmm. and they don't have each other as much as they would if they were all in the lab together. And so finding ways to substitute uh, for that. Um, you know, I've been encouraging team members to connect with each other just so that they have contact and, and they're sharing information and they're talking to each other. Uh, these kinds of things, I think, are important. They take effort. That's the only thing. It's not it's not as organic. We're just not used to that, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and hopefully, um, you know, when we come out of COVID, these experiences will mean that we'll just be more able to keep in touch with each other, both virtually and in person. I'm hoping that we learn those kinds of lessons coming out of this lockdown phase. Yeah, that's for sure. That's a really great perspective actually to, to have is to look at how this might affect future interactions. Um, because on the other side of the spectrum, there could only ever be in-person interactions. And what if someone doesn't have someone to talk to outside of the lab? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Definitely two different perspectives. And so my next question um, and, and final question is going towards um, something that you've mentioned throughout the interview and I think is really interesting and more people may want to know about is the McMaster Children and Youth University. And so just in terms of that, would you mind explaining um, what knowledge translation activities are and how they kind of play a role um, in, in, in your work? Yeah, I mean, there's there's knowledge translation that we do a little bit out of our main biomedical research, which is really trying to get the information we uncover about uh, cannabis and its effects out to clinicians. We work with clinical partners to do that, you know, developing information brochures or packages to share with moms so they know a little bit more about um, what cannabis exposure means. Um, and so that's one piece we do, but we're ramping up for that. Our main area of knowledge translation, um, and it's less knowledge translation and more sort of science education that we do with the McMaster uh, Children and Youth University. And, and this is really focused around not only science, 
but we, you know, we focus, it's a pan-university initiative. Uh, we have uh, folks from all across campus that, that are involved with this program. It's been running now for about 10 years. Um, we have, we, before COVID, uh, we used to uh, have on uh, in-person lectures where we get faculty to talk to families. And the whole premise behind this program is to really inspire kids to ask questions. So our tagline for the program is question, discover, create. Um, and this is really to make uh, kids and young people understand that we all want to ask questions and we use those questions to try to find answers. And those answers and the information that comes from that can help us to create solutions for the future. Uh, and so with that premise in mind, we started realizing that, you know, asking people to come on campus really meant we were, we ended up catering to a, a, an audience that could come on a campus, that had access to resources to come on campus and the time to come on campus. So, um, you know, about two or three years after we started the main program, we decided we needed to go out to local schools and uh, groups like the Boys and Girls Clubs of uh, Hamilton to really um, expose the kids that couldn't come on campus to some of the information, to let them talk to, to some of our undergrads and grad students. So we also developed the training program for our students, which we've now um, uh, um, rolled into two undergrad courses. Uh, and I'm going to throw a plug in for those courses. Uh, you know, there's a community engagement to CM3 and a community engagement to DM3. And those two courses together um, help students understand sort of the, the, the critical skills necessary to work with young people. Um, it provides them uh, the, a lot of transferable skill training. Um, and I can tell you that there's, uh, for, for the undergrads and grad students, there's no better way to fine tune your communication delivery than to talk to a bunch of kids because they're brutally honest. If you're boring, you'll know that you're boring within minutes. Uh, and so uh, those are the kinds of skills we offer. Uh, and we're starting now slowly to develop some research in the context of MCYU, doing research into you know, how this kind of training affects undergrads, but also doing research into how teaching young kids you know, at elementary school levels, we target primarily sort of grades four through eight, um, bringing critical thinking skills down to them, down to that level, what does that mean? How does it prepare them to better ex accept and advance science that's happening in our communities? Um, and so promoting the thinking part of understanding the exposures, not only to science, but to all sorts of other information that they get um, dumped on uh, with. And, and, and so, you know, and we've seen that a lot. We see that a lot on TV now in terms of uh, accepting science. So I think this is something really important that we need to bring down to the very early grades. And so that's sort of the mission of MCYU. Definitely. It sounds like 
a, a really nice thing to have, especially I know I like I would have loved to have been a part of something like this. And I know it's benefited many people by how um, by the stories you've told. And so it's definitely great to see how um, stuff like this is, is happening. And times it can seem daunting for, to people that, you know, McMaster University is, is associated with it. And so, wow, I don't know if I want to go there yet. But at the same time, like you said, the most important thing about it is that it's exposing them to the field, the, any field really, and kind of letting them know at an early age what they may be interested in. And I'm sure that um, a lot more people could also benefit from programs like this. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 we get occasionally, we get some really uh, motivational stories that help help keep driving this. Uh, I mean, uh, there's a story I recall of a, uh, a young, young lady from seven years old, she was coming to this program and when she was about 11, her dad proudly brought her to me and she had a little McMaster hoodie on and uh, she said this was her university, right? And so that, that was amazing. Um, mm -hmm. We've seen a lot of undergrads who were, you know, they were beelining for medicine, um, but after working with the kids, they decided they really enjoyed that and they wanted to go to teacher's college or go to some other occupation where they would be more closely working with mentoring kids. Um, and so those kinds of things um, help to sort of motivate my team and, and you know, uh, support some of the work that, that, that we're doing. So uh, for sure. it's really great to hear those kinds of stories. For sure, for sure, definitely. And so that, that concludes this week's uh, segment. Um, I really appreciate the time you took uh, to speak to us. It was amazing to have you on the show. Um, thank you for everything that you've said, really. I think you've left a lot of us, uh, myself included, with stuff to think about, really, about um, our field or what, what impacts certain parts of body development, all of those interesting things that we spoke about. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much, Omer, for having me. And it was a very distinct pleasure to share my thoughts with you. Um, and keep doing what you're doing. It's amazing. I think it I think bringing, bringing this kind of discussion to the forum for young people across the country um, is really important because it, uh, it, uh, it lets people sort of um, understand the kinds of uh, struggles that everybody goes through, the kinds of problems that we're all dealing with, um, and uh, hopefully motivates and inspires people to pursue lots of different questions throughout their lives and careers. Definitely something that we can all take with us as a lesson for today, for sure. Um, so that concludes this week's episode, and uh, thank you for tuning in.